BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Oh, I'm excited for today's episode because we have on Jessica McCabe of the hit YouTube channel, How to ADHD. We're going to get into some of her best tips, tricks, and things that you maybe have never thought about or heard when it comes to ADHD, which is being diagnosed more regularly and especially among adults who were never diagnosed as children and are starting to connect the dots a little bit. So I'm very, very curious about this topic and very excited to dive in. So please welcome Jessica McCabe. I'm very excited to have you on. Jessica, you are such a huge voice in the ADHD world or just, I guess, people being curious about functioning with ADHD, maybe looking to be a supportive one. I was looking at your book reviews and you have like 4.9 to five stars basically across the board on everything that I've seen, which is almost unheard of when it comes to any type of review. And so, yeah, I'd love for you to just sort of introduce yourself, talk about your work a little bit, and then we'll sort of dive in. Yeah. First of all, that's, that's super exciting because you, you spend a year and a half (laughs) working on a book and you're like, I hope people like it. Yeah. Uh, So it was, it was really validating. It was really cool. Um, especially for something like ADHD, because so many people are impacted differently. What works for different people is different. different, You know, everybody has different perspectives on like, you know, there's anything from like, this is absolutely disabling to like, it's a superpower. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's being well-reviewed is really exciting. Um, but it all started from a YouTube channel that I started eight years ago at this point. Um, just purely because I was failing at life, like epically, like really, really bad. And I couldn't figure out why, but I knew I'd been diagnosed with this thing called ADD and I'd taken meds for it when I could remember to go get the meds and Mm -hmm. just schedule my appointments. And I knew that I had trouble focusing and the meds helped me focus, but everything else I, I felt like was kind of my fault. But every once in a while, I'd come across an article from like an ADHD coach or something, some sort of free resource on the internet, cause I couldn't afford a lot of the supports that were that were available at the time. Yeah. Um, so I, I would I would come across an article or something and I'd be like, oh man, this is a really helpful strategy. And I would use it for like a week and then forget to use it. But it was helpful. And then when I remembered to use it again, I would not be able to find it. So I decided to take some time to learn about my brain and put everything that I learned somewhere I could actually find it again. And I wasn't sure where that was because I lose everything. I lose notebooks. Yeah. I lose phones. I lose my mom. I lost my podcast equipment right before this episode. (laughs) 
that's not even a joke. <laughs> oh my God. That's, that's impressive. Um, yeah. but yeah, my mom, my mom said that I would lose my head if it wasn't attached. Um, and so YouTube, I yeah. knew I wouldn't lose YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I decided to put everything on YouTube and make these videos public in case they were helpful for anybody else, which it turns out they were. I was not the only one who did not understand how my brain worked. And, and I'm curious because we've seen, especially with the rise of TikTok, I mean, YouTube's a little bit of an older dinosaur when it comes to social sharing online, but with TikTok, we started to see a lot of people going through these realizations and almost like self-diagnosis and understanding a lot of these neurodivergencies. And so I think a lot of it may be born from, this is speculation, but I know my childhood teachers would sort of speculate it and they would say it to you, but it was always meant to I think parents were really scared of what does that mean? What are those medications doing? And we heard stories from people who were like major creatives who would say, you know, a teacher's tried to, you know, squash my dreams and squash my creativity because I had ADD or ADHD. And, you know, now I get to live this creative world. So that it almost felt like there was these two narratives that were very combative of each other. One that was, this is a very negative thing that deeply impacts you. And then two, you know, take medications or things that could kill your creativity, could kill Mm. the spirit that you have inside of you. And, and I was raised on those types of narratives of like hearing those things, never from my parents, just the world and what I understood. And then, you know, I look at now and I mean, most of my friends are on some sort of a spectrum of ADHD, have struggled with it and have struggled to place what to do, how to go about it. And also we're seeing a, a lot of content online. A lot of people are like, I check every single one of these boxes. So a lot of people being curious about maybe don't have access to diagnosis or are getting curious about what it can mean. Um, what's your sort of thoughts on people who go down that path of just, Hey, I check every single one of these boxes. Like, I think I have it. And sort of like that self-validating diagnosis versus maybe a doctor. Yeah. I think self-suspecting is a really important first step, especially mm. for adults, because a lot of us did get missed as kids. And and what you're talking about, the people who are like, oh yeah, they're trying to squash my creativity. Um, a lot of these, these kids are, you know, really, really gifted and yeah. having the supports for their ADHD would not necessarily have, <laughs> have squash their creativity. We yeah. actually don't have research on that. Um, in, in terms of, we know that ADHDers are more likely to be divergent thinkers, think mm. outside the box, be really, yeah. really creative. And some of the ADHD traits that we have lends to that. But as one, as someone in my community really brilliantly put it, uh, I, my brain has a lot of ideas. The problem is without supports, without treatment, I don't do anything with them. So the people who were able to often came from a position of a lot of privilege. They had a lot uh, of supports around them. Yes regardless of, you know, like whether or not they got professional support, they had family support, they had um, people who believed in them, they had people who gave them opportunities, and, um, and they were able to take advantage of that. But there are a lot of people who didn't, there are a lot Mm. of people who did not have that privilege, who did not have those supports around them, and who, who, it's just been a massive struggle for them, right? Yeah, even the people who are, are really creative, right? Like, I, love what I do. I mm-hmm. am very proud. I definitely have an outside the box job. Like being a YouTuber was not something that I thought was a thing, you know, growing up. Yeah, it wasn't fair. like, I'm going to grow up and be a YouTuber. It's a very outside the box career. I do a lot of really creative, interesting work, but my medication helps me do that. Right. Yes. And so it's a bit of a misconception that if you get the support you need, that you won't be creative anymore. That is not the case. I find that I am more creative on my medication because I can control that creativity. I can direct that creativity. Um, But in terms of people going down that hole of like self-suspecting, I think it's a really important 
um, process because a lot of the time that's how people find out that mm -hmm. they might have ADHD is they hear stories from other people and they resonate with them and they kind of do go down this rabbit hole. And then at some point, most of them do go to the doctor and go, Hey, is this a thing? Like this sounds really yeah. familiar. Um, and that diagnosis process can also be really important because ADHD does not generally come alone. It comes with friends. So usually, you know, by the time you get to adulthood, especially ADHD also comes with anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes people are ADHD and autistic. Sometimes mm -hmm. they also have a learning disability. And so parsing that apart, like what's, you know, what's ADHD, what's anxiety. I found out that the emotion dysregulation I was experiencing with ADHD, um, a lot of that came from trauma, actually, mm. it was exacerbated by trauma. And if I didn't have that part of the puzzle, if I didn't have that part of the picture, it would be really easy for me to look at these TikToks and be like, oh, well, emotion dysregulation is just part of having ADHD and think there's nothing I can really do about it. Yeah. But while you can't heal ADHD, um, that's just how you're wired. That's your operating system. You can heal trauma. And so mm. healing the trauma was actually really helpful in helping me with my emotion dysregulation. So I think for the people who have access to it, um, because yeah. not everybody does, you know, but finding finding a, a doctor who really understands ADHD and getting that teased apart, like, do I have ADHD? Is it something else? Sometimes it is something else. Sometimes yeah. the attention issues that people are experiencing is actually, you know, and, and, the, and the sensitivity and the triggers sometimes that's PTSD, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it could not be ADHD at all sometimes, but a lot of times it is. A lot of times that when people really go down this rabbit hole, it turns out to be ADHD, but there's also something else going on. So I think it's really valid to self-suspect. And I think it's really valid to join the community and start using these strategies and start to understand how your brain works. And at the same time, if you can get that extra level of understanding that can really only come from an expert. Um, yeah. Even psychologists who are trained to diagnose these things often miss things yeah. in themselves because you can't see the house when you're living in it. Oh, that's so true. And uh, and honestly, I think that that self-suspecting is is no different than when you start to feel a pain in your stomach. And maybe that pain is, you know, being consistent. And eventually you'd be like, maybe I need to go see a doctor. Like, I think when it comes to mental health things or neurodivergencies, we get really caught up in validating that it's real and that it's true and that it's something to go seek help for because it feels very easy to push things under the rug. And so I love that you sort of have this like really great approach to validating whatever you're going through, but also understanding that like taking those next steps can be a really great part of the process. And it's not something to be scared of. It's not something because I'll, I'll be honest. I have a lot of friends who have this debate on if medication will, you know, ruin their careers or ruin the way that they, that they do things and create or their relationships. And, and I, and I love what you're sort of saying in, in the sense of how it can be supportive and that the, you know, the, the facts have not lined up to that fear at all. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, these medications, stimulant medications are, are generally what's used to treat ADHD. There's also mm -hmm. non-stimulant medications available. Um, but when you're taking a stimulant, it is very quickly in and out of your system. Yeah, it's it, To me, when I take my meds, it's kind of like what I imagine most people do when they start their morning with coffee. It's yeah. like, cool. I, I'm, you know, I'm starting my day with the stimulant. Like it's going to kick in a little bit. I'm going to feel like, okay, cool. Like time to get to work. You know, there's a ritual to it. There's a, you know, now my brain is functioning a little bit better and I can get to work and then it wears off. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious if these people who are very concerned about medication drink coffee, because generally mm. speaking, people with ADHD do self-medicate because their brains 
need that stimulation. stimulation our brains yeah. are chronically understimulated, right? And so usually we're medicating with something. We're medicating yeah. with cookies or we're medicating yeah. with um with you know excessive amounts of coffee or monster drinks or whatever. And what medication is is it's just it's a bit more of a controlled, regulated, like you know, you kind of get, especially the the um, extended release, you get little bursts of this, you know, released into your system throughout the day. So yeah. it can be a little bit easier to be more consistent and more um, and more focused for a longer period of time. Um, whereas wow. a lot of times <laughs> before taking meds, a lot of people are, you know, going three times a day, four times a day to go get their coffee. And, it, and it's a bit more of a roller coaster. I so, never even have heard that framed that way before. That's actually a really, a really cool thought to have. And I'm curious, you know, you've said you've been doing this for eight years. Have, do you still find things that are new to talk about when it comes to the world of ADHD and how you share with it? I do. But at this point, I'm kind of going a little bit beyond the research, which is really interesting because mm -hmm. when I first started, it was very much like, I want to know what we know for sure. And I want to, yeah. and I want to put that information out there. So it was very, you know, very research and evidence-based. But at this point, I, I have really learned, <laughs> like I've read all the research. I mean, not all of, the, but I've read a significant chunk of the research on ADHD. I understand the the things that tend to come with it um so at this point i have kind of two possibilities like one is going beyond the adhd research and into things that uh, impact people with adhd so like let's look at how hormones impact yes um, adhd let's look at you know let's look at anxiety and let's look at these other things that we have research on um let's look at psychoeducation and the benefits of psychoeducation mm -hmm. that we know from other diagnoses and how that might apply to adhd but also I'm interested in exploring not just how to do things because a lot of a lot of the research on ADHD and a lot of the strategies on ADHD are basically like, how do we get these people to function in a more neurotypical way? Like, yeah. how do we make it so that we don't struggle with time management? How do we yeah. make it so that we can focus? But I kind of want to also explore and lean into some of the stories of like, okay, uh, how does how does distraction help with creativity actually? Mm -hmm. How does getting distracted impact that? Um, how do we how do we take risks instead of like how do we mitigate you know the how do mm -hmm. we get these people to not be so you know take take so many risks like how do we take risks in a really healthy and productive way so a lot of that stuff is that i'm curious about now is not well researched the positive psychology is not well researched for adhd there's not yeah. a lot of research on the strengths and so yes um for some of that i'm going to be going out into the community and talking to them and I'm just, I'm excited to learn. I'm, I'm excited what else there is to learn and to potentially contribute to some, some research as well. I had a friend who is a parent of, of a child with ADHD. And, uh, she said something that really made me look at it and, and, and it's speculation of course, but the fact that perhaps this is all the human mind evolving to survive in a society that is constantly stimulated and I was like, oh, I've never even thought about, you know, evolution. And, you know, we, is it more that we are, people are getting diagnosed more, or is this the human brain changing? What is like, maybe in 10 years time, neurotypical is ADHD is like overfunctioning. I was like, oh, that's a really interesting thought, but regardless, we have to function in a society. And there are people that don't struggle with things. And there are people who do struggle with things. And we all have these major differences. And I do think, um, or I maybe would love to hear from you, what are the most common things that people find they struggle with and are looking for help on? Because I know um, a lot of my friends who have ADHD, they struggle with um, 
like keeping home or keeping on time, not being late. Is there a lot more to that? Is there people that, or is there like a common thread that you find, especially with eight years of creating around this topic, is there a really common thread for a lot of people that sort of makes them have their aha moments or that moment of validation or understanding in terms of how to manage with ADHD? It tends to really come down to executive function. So everybody has executive function. Um, it's it's what allows us to plan and prioritize and sustain effort toward our goals. It's kind of like the CEO of the brain. Okay. Um, it's this top-down control of our other, other functions that says like, oh, you know, yes, you're upset, but maybe don't blurt that out. Like, don't don't scream at your yes, boss. Like, yes, that's yes. not good for your career, right? Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> There's there 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 are many executive functions that make up the executive function system. There's both hot and cold executive functions. Um, co- hot executive functions um, kick into gear when emotions run high and motivation is in as, is at play. And cool executive functions are more logical. Both systems, um, both hot and cold executive function, is impacted in ADHD. Um, so why does that matter? Well, if you have difficulty planning and prioritizing and sustaining effort toward long-term goals and making, you know, quote unquote, good decisions, that's going to have a huge impact on your life, right? Yes. It's going to make it difficult to organize. It's going to make it difficult to, to stay on track with things. It's going to make it difficult to stay on top of things. Um, it's going to make it difficult to do things in general. Right. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times what we see happening in terms of, um, when people have that aha, aha moment is when the demands on their executive function exceed their executive function capabilities, exceed their ability to cope. And for some people that happens earlier and some people that happens a bit later, um, depending on the supports they have, depending on the severity of the ADHD, depending on a a bunch of different factors, right? Um, But for me, it happened in middle school. I, uh, my mom got in a really bad car accident and we had to switch schools. and I, I had to switch schools at a time where I didn't have my mom to support me and support my executive function the way that she had been. She had yeah. been making sure I had my backpack by the door and that I did my homework yeah, and that I got yeah. it in my backpack. And so suddenly I was responsible for doing all of that stuff myself because my mom was in a hospital bed mm-hmm. and um, and my dad couldn't really help because that was, that was, he was yeah. just my mom helping me like that. And then also at the same time, I was in middle school now. And so the demands on executive function increase there too. You have to, instead of staying in one classroom, you have to change to different classes. You have a locker. You have to remember the combination for that locker. Like there's more demands on the executive function because they expect you to be able to, to be ready for that at that age. So it was not only like the increased demand on my executive function, but I was losing support in the home in terms of supporting my ability to do that. Um, And at the same time, um, ADHDers tend to have a developmental delay in terms of executive functions. So um, we're usually a few years behind. So at like maybe 12 years old, I had the executive function of maybe a nine-year-old. And at the same time, you know, my mom wasn't around to help. Yeah. So it was too much for me. And I started acting out. I started screaming and at my mom, like I told her that I wish that she died in the accident. Like it was, oh, it, wow. I was acting out, out of frustration and confusion and overwhelm it wasn't that I actually hated my mom. It was that I was drowning. Right. Yeah. And I needed help. And that was a bit of a cry for help. So my mom thankfully did end up, um, when she was doing a bit better, she did take me to the doctor and, and got me evaluated and I I had ADHD. 
But that's when I hit my breaking point. Some people hit their breaking point when they make the transition from high school to college because suddenly yes. they're responsible for, you know, for for maintaining their own home and, you know, doing laundry and going to classes and registering for themselves and advocating for themselves when maybe before their parents could do it for them with yeah. their teachers. So that can overwhelm. Sometimes it's when people become a new mom. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's when people go to medical school. But you, often what we see is at some point, um, so for some people that was during COVID, like suddenly they're finding themselves like I, now I have to homeschool my kids, like what yeah. work from out? Like it's overwhelming. And so at some point they're like, okay, this is not working. Whatever coping skills I've built up, like I am drowning. This is not enough. Yeah. And so when you walk through the book, is it coming from, cause I mean, you're like an expert, but not in an, how, how is maybe the book kind of work through some of the stages of how to ADHD, especially from the approach of somebody who's maybe come out from that other side and is looking like, like when people pick up your book, what is your hope for them to sort of journey through that experience of diagnosis of ADHD or looking to take back some semblance of control or power when it comes to functioning with it? The power is exactly it. Like I'm hoping that the book empowers people mm -hmm. because when I started on my journey, I had exactly one tool and that was medication. And if I could not get my medication, which a lot of people can't right now, yeah, I felt helpless. I felt like, well, I guess I can't get anything done. Um, if I, you know, if, if, if I had had more tools, if I'd had more understanding, I would have felt more empowered. And so slowly, 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 I learned what what I was struggling with. I learned the names for this, you know, the specific impairments that my brain faces. I learned strategies for coping with them. I learned all of these yeah. things. And with that learning came empowerment because now when I run into an issue, you know, and I, essentially it's like the error codes in my brain is how I put it. Like I run into an issue of like, nope, my brain's just noped out of reading yeah. this page for some reason. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. It's, instead of just not knowing why, I know exactly why. I know mm -hmm. that people with ADHD have difficulties reading long blocks of text. I know that we ex we experience something called, um, you know, we experience working memory challenges. And for me, working memory is a relative area of weakness. And so when I read something and I forget what I just read, that's because the sentence was too long. It was, you know, it, it exceeded my working memory capacity. And so yeah. I need short sentences. I need, I need paragraphs broken up. I need, um, there, there are a lot of things that I need um, to support my working memory. And it's, it's because I know it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, being able to read the error codes on a printer instead of just like banging on it and hoping that I'll get it. To yes. Work, be like, Oh, this error code means the printer's out of paper. Okay, cool. I'll go get some paper. And there's a, there's nothing like morally wrong about it. It's, it's morally neutral. It's just like, Oh, this thing needs this. Okay. I will go provide that. And that's how it is for me now. And I was hoping to give that to people. I was hoping to yeah. take people from this place of shame and, you know, internalized ableism and like hating themselves and um, feeling disempowered to understanding themselves, accepting themselves and feeling empowered. Um, yeah. You know, hopefully by the end of this book, people will have a toolbox full of strategies that they can try. But at the very least, they'll know that the way that their brain works is the way that their brain works and they are not alone in that. Yeah. Um, this is, it's, it's your brain isn't broken. It's just different. It works yeah. differently. So when you have a piece of equipment that works differently, you have to work with it differently. And that's, yeah. that's fine. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that this book empowers people more than, more than anything else. Um, because we are so disempowered in this society. 
both in terms of it's not accessible to us in many mm-hmm. ways. There are a mm-hmm. lot of things that are that are actively inaccessible to people with ADHD that we end up blaming ourselves for mm-hmm. um, for not doing well. Um, but I forgot I forgot the other half of that sentence. It was so early for me. <laughs> I had a point. I actually love that. Point. Okay, <laughs> look, you I still have ADHD. It. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, this is the one thing too, when I remember back in the day when somebody would talk about an ADHD diagnosis, it was like doomsday. And what one thing I've really taken note of is some of the most successful people that I've ever met have ADHD. And it's not, it's not what maybe gave them that position, but it maybe didn't take away either. And I think sort of to what you're saying, like with some of the tools and the ability to navigate some of these things, maybe it doesn't have to be so hard. Like it doesn't maybe have to be, this um, doomsday feeling that maybe it feels at first when it's just, you don't have the guidebook yet. You don't have the tools yet. You're just at the beginning of the journey. And I, and I know as a parent too, when you have a kid that's diagnosed with anything that's neurodivergent, it can feel terrifying because you're like, I don't, I don't, not only do you not have the tools, I don't have the tools. I don't have the tools to figure out how to help you get the tools. And my whole job is to try and get you Mm -hmm. to function in this world. And to, like you said, have that executive function to remember your backpack, remember your homework. What happens when I'm not here anymore? What happens when I have a kid that's almost 18? It's like, what happens when she's like 18 and I'm not reminding her to like do certain things or have certain things done on time. You really reflect on a lot of these different question marks, but I think we have to give ourselves a lot of grace for the fact that we're not born knowing these things and it's not common knowledge to go through these things and pages like yours and books like yours, I think really can help us tap into just that curiosity and that learning or whether you're at the stage of um, self-suspecting or you got diagnosed a really long time ago and just thought this is life. And that's sort of, um, I had a teacher, a middle school teacher, because a lot of, I've never been a a bad behavior kid, but Mm -hmm. I struggled a lot in school with certain things. And there was a teacher that I didn't, I didn't know this until my mom posted on a Facebook when I had some like successful thing happen. And my mom was like, back in the seventh grade, a teacher said that she would never amount to anything and look Mm. at her now. And I was like, what teacher said that? What the heck just (laughs) happened? But the fact that my parents were there like supporting and protecting me from a lot of the stigma that existed then and allowed me to, you know, and I still think to this day, I know that like, there's a big part of me that just gets very, like, I'm a tornado and I always will be, and maybe (laughs) I don't always need to be that tornado. Right. And, and I recently found out that there is a huge connection between, um, the mental health diagnosis I have of PMDD with ADHD. And so it's like, it is sort of like these big picture things. And maybe I don't have to be the kind of person that lives in chaos all the time. Maybe there is hope for different um, tools to gather and learn. So from somebody sitting here being like, I've spent 20 years just being like, well, that's just how it is. It is very hopeful. And it's so nice hearing that there are ways to learn your brain and to understand those error codes a little bit more and to I don't know, take a step of hope a little bit and not just settling into what you feel is life and who you are. It's not being a disaster. Isn't a character, isn't a character trait. It's just not. And I think there's so much more to learn. Um, I'm curious as somebody who sort of learned these tools, have you balanced, you said that, you know, you were failing at life all across the board. 
how would you sort of feel about yourself now? Like, do you have a little bit more grace for the parts of you that maybe are a little bit of a tornado or a disaster, but also have learned to function in a, in a bit of a more manageable way in other ways? I guess I'm just hoping to hear that there is something beyond just the disaster point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I still have chaos, but yeah. I have control over mm. where the chaos exists. Like there are just, there are parts like my, my studio is a mess right now. Like yeah. everything, like I have not cleaned my desk in several months um, yeah. <laughs> unless like I actually had to move something so that I, yeah. had, I could make space for something else. But you know what? Like that's a choice because mm -hmm. I am able to prioritize what's important to me. And what was important to me was doing a really good job with this book and finishing this mm -hmm. book and promoting mm -hmm. this book. Mm -hmm. And also I'm 30 weeks pregnant. So I'm like, <gasps> you know what, you know, what's important right now, like taking care of this kid and getting this book out into the world. Girl, you know I was on important? a bed. I was on a sofa, like nearly the whole time. It is hard to function. <laughs> you have that messy desk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have a messy desk, right? Like, and I still have chaos, but I have the ability to tackle the chaos if I want to. And that's, mm -hmm. that was the difference is I was, I was so disempowered, but before it felt like things were happening to me, yes. it didn't feel like I was in charge. It felt like I was just constantly reacting as opposed to acting. If that makes mm. sense. Like I wasn't the one deciding what to do. It was like, oh, well sh this just hit the fan. So like now I have to tackle this and now I have to tackle this. There were just constantly fires popping up and I didn't get to do what I cared about doing because I was constantly reactive to the, you know, to things falling apart around me and trying mm -hmm. to keep things afloat. And now things are still chaotic, but I'm in control. Like mm -hmm. I get to decide what chaos I invite into my life and allow to stay there. Um, I get to, you know, put supports in place. Like I, there were some things I had to accept. Like I have never in my life been able to keep my house clean. Not yeah. ever. Yeah. Like, I am so bad at it. Like, and, and I will spend days trying to get it clean because I want it to be right. Like I yeah. want, I want oh, it to I be it clean. Too. I want things to be where they, they where they're supposed to be. And I will spend days trying to get it there. And then like five minutes later, it's, it's, it looks like somebody came and broke in and like, dumped <laughs> a bunch of stuff. like, I'm like, how did that even happen? I don't know. I don't know how it yeah. happened, but I can mess up an area really quickly and it takes me forever to clean it. And so what I finally had to accept was I need housekeepers. Yeah. I didn't want to need housekeepers. I mm -hmm. wanted to be able to do this myself, especially because I've put so much effort into trying to mm -hmm. get better at it. But it is just a waste of my time, to mm -hmm. be frank, because it mm -hmm. is not where my skills lie. Yes. And so <laughs> me going out and writing another book, you know, would make more sense than me not having housekeepers um, because I'm good at that. I'm good at science yeah. communication. I'm good at teaching. I'm good at, at being relatable like that, that stuff. I can do, but my brain does not organize. Like I have incredible difficulties with organization. Mm -hmm. I have incredible difficulties. And so, you know, at some point like that might change. Like as I become a new mom, I might be like, you know what? It's in addition to housekeepers, I actually really want to get better about labeling everything and, and making sure everything's in its place. Cause I'm now I'm supporting a new human. Um, and so like, maybe that'll become a priority then, but right now it's just not, it's not yeah. a priority. And so no, I'm so for that. I have a friend who's a CEO of a company and she was on the podcast once and she said, um, I just chose to believe in uh, supporting the ecosystem of women. I'm not the best <laughs> at making, I'm the, I'm great at running a company and I'm not the best at making cakes and cleaning my house. And I know other women that are, and I contribute financially to the economy by hiring the people that are better at the things while I do the things that I'm good at. But it's true. It can be a little bit like I've had, I've had the shame of like, 
not shame, but like you get, I've had like home organizers come in and they do so much and then they leave and they're like, are you <laughs> like, is it good? And everyone's like, is it going to be able to stay that way? Like, no, of course not. But <laughs> the difference is now, and this is what she reframed for me, organized doesn't mean tidy. And it helps to know that like having that places, just things have a home. So I get, I'm like a pile girl. I have piles mm -hmm. everywhere. Right. And so when it comes time that I am actually tidying up, I'm tidying up into the homes I know they have, as opposed to what I was doing before, which is if it's behind a door, I don't think about it. And mm. that's why my, that's what, well, then my office is still in that state, but like shoving things <laughs> into closets, which they, they weren't put into homes. They weren't put into places that I would ever find them again, which is what was putting me in this cycle of knowing, but I really had to differentiate the difference between being organized and being tidy because everything has a home. That does not mean that my house is tidy. It's just not, I have four kids, I have teens and I have a toddler and, and things are happening all the time. And yes, I could spend a lot of time cleaning my house, but I would rather spend time playing board games. I would rather sometimes yeah. spend time just chilling out and having moments and actually living the life that we all work so hard to live. And you sort of let go of the rest. And I think as sort of time is progressing, social media is progressing. We're seeing more and more of like, I think a lot of us actually live in kind of chaotic spaces and it's not perfect all the time and it doesn't need to be picture perfect. But um, I really am curious how you cope with uh, devices like handheld devices and how do you manage your time with them? Because I feel like that's one thing that's difficult when you're constantly wanting stimulation and there's a phone with scrolls of hours and hours and hours of stimulation. How's your relationship with your phone and how do you manage your time with it? If at all? Honestly, I spent a lot of time with it. Um, I talked to an expert on screen time and he said something really interesting, which is it's not about how much screen time you're mm. getting um, for kids or adults. It's not about how much screen time. It's what are you doing on that screen mm. that matters. And so if I'm engaging with my community, which I do a lot, yeah, I, that's a good that's a good use of my time. Yeah. Um, and I don't really worry about like how much time I'm spending um, on my screen, I worry about what am I doing and why yeah. am I doing it? And I try to yeah. have some mindfulness around that. Um, and lately, like I've been playing, there's there's like a phone game that I've been playing a lot, but it's- Is it it's I Want Watermelon? No, <laughs> no, it's it's actually called Family Island and okay. it's very mindless. It's a resource gathering game. Like it's, oh, that it's is one fun. of those um, ones that like you can- you can pay to get more rubies or energy oh. or whatever, but like I'm enjoying the gamification of like, I'm not going to give them any money. I'm just yeah. going to like, like work the game and like work the system so that I don't have to spend any money on it. And that's, it's stimulating and it's engaging. And I'm, I'm probably spending a lot, like a lot of my day on it right now, to be frank, yeah. but it's a deliberate choice and yes. it's a deliberate choice because I also just had a lot of change happen. Mm -hmm. And so I need a little bit more time where I'm doing something mindless yes. than I might otherwise. Right. Yeah. When my daughter comes, if I'm still spending that much time on the game and I'm, and I'm neglecting her, or if I'm neglecting other things that are important to me, if I'm like missing the podcast that I'm supposed to be yeah, on, yeah, yeah. like then I start to go, okay, now this is a problem. But right yeah. now what it's doing is it's helping me, you know, it's helping me cope with the, you know, the pregnancy pains. It's giving me a distraction. It's helping yes. me do something mindless so that I can, my brain can kind of catch up to all of the, the change that's happening. And mm -hmm. so I think, I think that's it. Just like being mindful of what is it that you're doing and why are you doing it? Yeah. Um, most of the time that I spend on my devices usually is creative and yeah. you don't get the instant dopamine hit, um, which is what can be problematic, right? Like that can create issues. If, 
if you click on a thing and it gives you an immediate like you know reward and dopamine hit or whatever it can make it harder to to sit down and do the things where you actually have to work for the dopamine you have to like mine it as opposed yeah. to just pick it up off the ground but that's usually where the high quality dopamine is if i yeah. create something if i finish something if i accomplish something like that is much more rewarding and much healthier then it's it's essentially junk food right like the mm-hmm. the, the phone games like it's junk food like mm-hmm. and i know that it's junk food but right now like i kind of need that yeah, because I spent it. a long time on the other stuff, right? So yeah, I, I guess that's how I manage my devices. I also don't have alerts on for yeah. most things because yeah. that will distract me if I'm yeah, trying I don't to focus, do notifications. Yeah. Don't do notifications. Yeah. Um, because I'm very careful. I, I talk about this in my book, like be careful with cues, like use cues, but with caution because mm-hmm. ADHD brains are very, very responsive to cues. Um, and we're very sensitive to, to that, um, because of, you know, for a number of reasons, including working memory challenges, including if things are out of sight, they're Mm -hmm. kind of out of mind. And so if there are cues that tell us like, Hey, do this thing, our brains usually respond really strongly to that. So we have to be careful with that because if if I'm trying to uh, do a podcast or I'm trying to work on something and like, I hear a little ding and a little notification my response inhibition is not great. Like I'm going to go check mm-hmm. that, right? Like I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going to go do that thing. And I'm, it's going to pull me away from what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So, um, almost across the board, like I have things on do not disturb. I, I don't have notifications on, I don't yeah. have it to where I can hear it. If somebody texts me because yeah. I know that I won't be able to get my stuff done. If I, if I have that. Yeah. My big thing is I'll be in conversation with somebody and it doesn't matter how detailed the conversation is. If I get a text notification, it's like my brain can't listen to what somebody's Mm -hmm. saying to me anymore until I check it and know what it is. And then I'm down that rabbit hole of that. And I've watched people that I love get really frustrated with me because they're like, Oh, I've lost you. Like you're, you're gone. You're in a different space now. And, and same, like I've had to put my phone on and and that frustrates people too, I'm sure, because they're trying to get a hold of me for something Mm -hmm. specific and need to wait till I have the moment to look at it. But the same with like the video games, I found myself during COVID playing animal crossing and the same Mm -hmm. sort of thing. The phone was like doom scrolling. And I knew that I still wanted to be stimulated in some way and having something to engage. And it almost was like mindful. It was like a mind massage. It was like something I was doing that was stimulating my brain to be functioning and it was taking care of things, but they weren't in my real world. And that was such a freaking relief. And it Mm -hmm. helped me so much. Then in postpartum, I even like picked up Zelda and just saying like, I feel so passionate now about what video games can be, because I think there's so many different vices you can choose when it comes to sort of numbing out or tuning out or trying to find a way to like manage what you're experiencing, whether it's like overwhelm or otherwise. And video games gave me a place to put that. Like it gave me a space for my brain to like, I don't know, there was something weird. It's funny how my own house would be a disaster, but my animal crossing house would be tidy and clean. (laughs) But it also was like, I needed that because I wasn't I wasn't functioning, um, outside of that. Like it was really difficult for me to continue on with the doom scrolling and just feeling so terrified and hopeless. And I was also, I was pregnant in the pandemic. So there was a lot of that. There's a lot of fear coming up around birth. And I, I mean, I ended up having a home birth because things were just like so complex at the time I would have done anything to tune out. And when you're pregnant, there's not a lot of options you have. And video games were really helpful. But what I took with me afterwards was 
oh, I actually have something that helps me in times of being overwhelmed, that helps my brain be distracted from it without doom scrolling and going into like all these other damaging things that could potentially make this worse. Video games have like really brought me back to that. And I'm, and I've been, and it's been something that I've done ever since, even though I'm no longer in that like early stages of COVID fear and terror and like early stages of pregnancy all the way up to birth. Now I'm like, okay, but that was something that actually really worked for me. And it can be really beautiful. I still feel the same thing with like our phones. It, it's hard to differentiate between work. I say air quotations, I don't mean them, but like, you know, work versus like using it for fun. And I've had to, I don't, I don't really consume TikTok for that reason, because TikTok is yeah, too difficult for me to disengage with. It's too difficult for me to stop scrolling through. And I would find even as a creator, I'd like check in on my TikToks and then it would just be, I was stuck there for two hours and I couldn't. So until I have built up, you know, a little bit of a better relationship with it, I don't really use it anymore. And I've, I've sort of stuck with Instagram. Cause I'm like, I have, I've created boundaries for myself there. I actually time budget myself on mm. Instagram. And when I see myself slipping then it's like, okay, we have to take a little, little check for that. And time budgeting has helped me really, really manage that. And while still being a community member, while still engaging, while still working, while still doing my job. And I mean, it's all of these little tools I think we can pick up along the way, but I have to say again, your book, I haven't read it, but I was just so floored at how many people had so many amazing things to say and such incredible reviews uh, about it. So congratulations. And I would just love for you to share with everyone where they can sort of consume your content, check in with what you're doing or get the book. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I, you can follow me at how to eat each day across all the platforms. I I'll, also have troubled TikTok, So I'm, yeah. not, I'm not on there very much. I'm, yeah. I'm learning Instagram. So I'm yeah. on Instagram. I'm on uh, Twitter X, whatever we're calling it now. Yeah. Um, I, I, YouTube is my main platform. Um, I have hundreds of videos and you can actually see the videos all the way from the very first thing that I learned oh, wow. about my brain, other than I had trouble focusing all yeah. the way to, you know, to the more nuanced conversations that I'm having now. Um, there, there's also, if you're interested in ADHD and hormones, if you're interested in how ADHD impacts pregnancy, we've got some content coming up for that. So if you subscribe, oh, awesome. um, I'm really excited to do that. Um, there's also howtoadhdbook.com where you can get the book you, there. There's um, links to different retailers, uh, where you can get it, but you can actually get the book anywhere books are sold. So awesome. Yeah. And I saw you've got like 1.6 million YouTube subscribers. That's like truly incredible. Congratulations. And obviously such a needed voice in the echo chamber of the world and on the internet. And I'm glad that you have taken something that was, that could have, that could have been catastrophic. That could have been, you know, really difficult and really helped other people with it. I think that that's such a gift. And I love that you have done it for so long. I think that that's such a cool journey that you can actually scroll all the way back to see like the very beginning and watch you sort of grow, because that's sort of the hope that a lot of us need is to know that there is learning and there's tools and there's ways to, there's ways to manage and to learn and to like create powers out of everything. And it's not, it's not doomsday. It can actually be a really big gift that we can sort of tap into if we learn how to manage it really well. So thank you so, so much for your time and this conversation. And for everyone listening, I'm going to have everything in the show notes for you as well. Check out the book, How to ADHD and across all platforms as well. And we will see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's 
today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.